Welcome to The Few, brought to you by Zappo Bank. In this series, we explore the extraordinary journeys of a select inspirational few whose quiet revolutions have sparked change across the globe. Their stories are those of vision, tireless dedication, and unwavering belief. Stories that echo our own. What we see in them, we see in ourselves. What they believe, we believe. And that when human ingenuity and determination come together, anything is possible. In this episode, I am joined by tech pioneer and serial entrepreneur, Rapelang Rabana. I think your attention and time are the most valuable assets you will ever have in your life. And it's more about picking the struggle that is compatible with who you are. No one's going to come and pat you on the back that you've done well. You just need to try and make this business work. We didn't see ourselves as small or in inadequate or less deserving of a career in technology because we were in the bottom of Africa and we're not in Silicon Valley per se. You need to stay focused, keep your head down and simply just get better. Rapelang Rabana. What a beautiful name. I think, um, I mean, I mentioned this in in another conversation that I I fundamentally believe and I think it's it's common in uh, Black culture that your name becomes you. Mm-hmm. How has your name become you? Because it's wow. such a strong name, it like Rabbit Lang, is. which is a command in a way. <laughs> yes, yes. Like pray. Definitely. Well, my mom says that when she was pregnant with me, she was praying for a girl. Oh. So that was that's sort of her angle to it. Okay. And she got her girl. Yes. You know, her one and only girl, I still like to think. Yes. And I guess for me, it's been about, I do believe that, you know, our time on earth is about, you know, stepping into your power the part of you that is connected to God. So I think that that's how I see that element of spirituality and praying. Um, And I like to believe that I've stepped into my faith and power Mm. and in the choices I've made and the work I do. It's very interesting um, because you you mentioned that you are not a religious person and Mm. what you just said is so profound to me because um, a lot of people would hear that and think that you then subscribe to a specific Mm -hmm. uh, religion. But I imagine there are rituals for yourself that ground you. It, it it came through in another conversation that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, with conversations like this, you always are all, you always get where the answers based on where the person is. Yes. And what came for me before I even understood the, the name, the meaning yeah. of your, of your name was that feeling of the importance of coming back to, to self. Correct. And Correct. how do you think you have embodied your name in how you live today in like the practical mm. things that you do? I think I take it all the way back to even just my decision to become an entrepreneur. It was, you know, ultimately, you know, these all of these things you're made in the image of God, you know, um, God has all intentions of glory for you and all of these things. And for me, it was about I trust that I have been given everything that I need to do well in this world and I'm going to embark upon it. And for mm. me, that is that is an act of faith in, in many ways. I even if yeah, even if I don't go to church every Sunday, it's an act of faith. And I, I hope by that and it's done me well. I get it. Mm. I completely get it. Tell me about your your relationship with um with your parents. I think you had mentioned a little bit about you you speak very Fondly, especially of uh, your your dad and the journey that they've they've both been and how it's influenced how you see yourself in spaces. Yeah, my parents have definitely been a huge, huge influence on my life. I like to say that I, 
I truly won the parent lottery oh. of the century. Um, Such and a it's been an to know honor to know. And yeah, it is. It is. Because, and I only realized this, I think maybe in my early post, post-university, when now you're in the big, bad, wide world and you start to realize just how much my parents gave me in terms of discipline, focus, how to look after myself, how to look after my home, how to, how to eat well, how to exercise well, how to read all the time and, and think well and stay grounded. And yo, I, I had taken those things for granted. I thought that everybody, everybody had that, but certainly, certainly not. And it's become quite evident. And with my parents, I guess the most important thing they've taught me is, yeah, a, a sense of you can get stuff done, work hard enough, focus deep on something, dig in, maximize the hours in the day, and you can you can get a lot of stuff done. You you also spoke, and, and I'm going to go back to this control thing because <laughs> it's such a... Um, a common trait in in, in successful female leaders, yeah. right? And um, I guess with, with 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 male leaders as well. And the difference is, I think we all fundamentally understand that the world of work and 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 the the success narrative as it's understood by most people is very masculine in its mm. energy. Mm. What has been your relationship with your own femininity? <laughs> <laughs> My own femininity, yo. You know what? I don't even know if I fully know it. Sure, that is a tough question. I I don't know that I have translated femininity necessarily externally so yeah. much. I, I grew up with two brothers, so yes. I would say that I was a tomboy yes. a lot of the time. Um, and post-university, university started to sort of do these uh, more feminine things, but I'm still way behind track <laughs> when I compare myself to my friends, right? But I do think that I... I can tap into my sense of femininity when it relates to when it relates to holding space and letting people's feelings be. I I, I get that. I, so I believe you about I can, that. I I think that I can be a good bystander and a holder of space mm. for people's joy and pain. Yes. I, I do get I, I can believe that and I'll tell you why. I think you do have a sense of in your energy, a statement that says, I can listen to you if I need to. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels like it is a choice for you. And because it feels like it's a choice, it, I, I think it is backed by a lot of intentionality yes. when you do make the decision yes. to listen to someone. Correct. And it's not very often. I can see. I can see. <laughs> but I could tell. I could tell that you do have this, this softness that says, I can listen to you if I mm. need to. I can hold your hand if I need to. Yes. But the big part is if I need to yeah. or decide to. Yes, if I decide to. Um, and if I... If I if if I believe, you know, you actually want to journey past this point, sure, then I'm then I'm definitely, yeah, willing to hold your space and walk with you. You call yourself a serial entrepreneur? Yes, that's what they say these days. <laughs> Why do you start businesses? Why do you keep starting businesses? There's so many problems to solve. Yeah. There's so many things to do. It's, uh, and I don't know what else to do. With my time from from university, it was initially a case of what can we do with our time that our parents wouldn't be wholly disappointed and upset with us for not going into the corporate world. And starting a business was a, a, apparently something. So the could corporate do. world was never an option for you. I knew quite early on that I 
I don't think that was going to work for me. Perhaps coming out of high school already, I had a sense that this path, I've got no idea what it's about and why we keep doing this and all of these things that adults keep saying we must do. But uh, I'll go to university, mom and dad, because this you is what you, you say I should. But I was, you know, already first, second year, already clear in my mind that probably this is the last thing I can do because it's what I'm supposed to do. And I needed to find a space where I could determine more about how I spent my time and what I gave my energy to, what I decided to think about. I felt I'd spent, you know, a good two decades just going through tunnels of other people's thoughts and minds. And I wanted to finally just decide what is important right now and interesting to me without it yeah, having to be justified to anybody else. I think it's interesting the way that you put it, going through a tunnel of other people's uh, guest priorities and things <laughs> that they felt needed to do, needed to be done. Who are yes. these people? Who are these people that you felt in a way almost um, prisoner to what they decided needed to happen? Sure. It's the it's the authors of the textbooks. It's the it's 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 teachers. Though I think teachers I had less of a problem with because I think I had great teachers in general. Yeah. But it was, you know, the fact that we spend so much time in history on on European history and the I French see. Revolution and and whatnots. And a concept that science and all of these powerful concepts were, you know, entirely a product of, you know, the Western world or Oxford University or stuff like that. Mm. It was a, it was just, I'm like, no, this is just someone's perspective. And I just want other perspectives right yeah. now. Freedom seems to be an important attribute for you. <laughs> yeah. Freedom of time, mind. I think your attention and time are the most valuable assets you will ever have in your life. So if you can't direct them, it 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 just feels futile. And for me, the big thing, you know, and I'd spent quite a lot of time going into internships, VAC works, et cetera. So I think I had a fair amount of exposure to corporate world. And I just didn't get a sense that I would have that agency. And on top of it, you know, you when you go into corporate, you know, you go into another tunnel, your direct manager's, you know, tunnel. And I was just like, I don't think that all of these managers are that amazing. And I, I don't get to pick them. And it feels like a game of Russian roulette. Yeah. And I just don't know if I'm going to get the right one. Um, and I was just like, if, if it's all such a unknown, then just can I do it in a way that makes sense to me? Yeah. You had probably grand ideas around what that looked like. <laughs> because everything else was a tunnel. Um, tell me a little bit about... I guess for a lot of people whose uh, primary attributes is freedom is uh, the realization that there is a, a burden to freedom. There is mm. a huge responsibility when you're free. Mm. There's a book written by Miles Monroe that speaks particularly around yeah. about uh, third world countries that attain freedom, especially after being in a tunnel, because that's what I'm going to call it now, <laughs> especially after existing in a tunnel of, some, of someone else's ideologies yes. and the inability to direct themselves within that freedom. What have you found have been the challenges and responsibilities that come with freedom? Because I think this is what people don't talk about a lot when it comes to entrepreneurship. It's mm -hmm. just like, I have freedom of time. I have freedom to do yeah. anything. But hey, there's bills at the end of the month, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what has been the burden of, of, of your freedom? I think that there was going to be a burden and struggle either way. 
And it's more about picking the struggle that is compatible with who you are. And I picked this right struggle for me and had the sort of the self-awareness to know the struggle that was suitable for me. And it wasn't that it was all going to be, you know, fun and games, free time and whatever else. It meant that I had to work insanely hard because, you know, there's no direct manager or system in a corporate that is telling me that I am good or not good, that I'm making progress or not making progress. Um, And because of the absence of those external reference points, it means you just have to try and exceed what you think was good too. Because you, no one's going to come and pat you on the back that yeah. you've done well. You just need to try and make this business work. So I think I, that hard work and discipline was, uh, yeah, the first seven years of entrepreneurship was utterly, utterly brutal. Worked nonstop without a true holiday for that time. So I was super, super tired. You sound like you have such a brilliant mind and I love speaking to smart people. I'm, I'm in, I'm, I, just, I just get inside your brain and just think, so what about this and what about that? And, <laughs> and when you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself, how did you decide what your first business was going to be? Um, there could have been, you could have chosen anything and I believe you could have been successful at anything that you chose. What was your first business and how did you decide that that's where you were going to expand your energy at that time? (laughs) I would say that probably wasn't the most conscious choices. I found a couple of other guys in my computer science class who are equally desperate not to get a job (laughs) and come up with some kind of plan, you know, so our parents don't uh, kill us, I guess, at the end of the day. And um, one of the other guys, you know, we talked about how we never even had money or prepaid credit on our cell phones to make calls back then. You know, we think calls are expensive now. Back in, you know, early 2000, it was even more expensive. And we were relying on please call me all the time. And, you know, one please call me means one thing. Two please call me means we're yes, moving the, yes, the meeting two yes, hours later. And then later. you got to the point where you could add a name at yeah, the end. exactly. Yes. And just put some keywords yes. in it. And I guess... We we got, we developed a sense that, man, no, there's got to be another way to do life. We, it shouldn't just be about having enough money to buy credit. Surely we can do calls over the internet on our phones. And, you know, back then it was just Skype on your computers. Yes. But, you know, none of us had ADSL at home or, or laptops necessarily um, for ourselves. And we were always mobile and we didn't have internet telephony on mobile phones back then. Mm-hmm. So we thought, you know, 3G was just becoming a big thing then. There was Bluetooth, Wi-Fi also becoming more frequent, that there should be a way to do calls over the internet on your phone. Um, And this has got to be a big problem. I mean, look at the miserable life we're living, you know, just doing this. And that's what's launched our journey into that, scratching our own back, really. And just believing that we shouldn't have to suffer like this. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that (laughs) business. I'm I'm intrigued. I I mean, computer science is is a foreign concept for someone like me. And I imagine a lot of people listening to this conversation. So... When, when you think about, I mean, and also a lot of people think about these things, right? Like there has to be a better way than me sitting a piece call me. But you guys then go from that initial uh, um, conversation to yes. then building a business, I imagine, yeah. solves yeah. this problem. Yes. What was that process and what was that business? There's a particular quote that I love by Paul Graham. And he says that when you look at the way successful founders have come up with their ideas, it is generally about an external stimulus hitting a prepared mind. 
you know, and that prepared mind is the sum total of your life journey, the skills you have, yes, but also your lived experience. And as students, you know, in the bottom of Africa who maybe didn't have credit um, on their phones and hadn't, you know, done a computer science degree, there was a, a closeness in the technology and in, in the kind of stuff we were trying to solve for. So that was our prepared, our sort of external stimulus hitting our prepared minds in a way. And and that's how I think the best and most authentic entrepreneurial journeys start, when there is an external stimulus that connects to your lived experience um, and direct capabilities and skills that you've had. Um, and when we started it, right, it was pretty new. If you can imagine those times, it was before iPhones, before Android phones. It was when you were still using those Nokia E-series and N-series. Yes. If you did have Windows Mobile, maybe you were pretty nerdy and nifty. Um, and it was a different technology world completely. Yeah. But we managed to build one of the earliest uh, mobile voice over IP apps. So what you now consider as, you know, your Viber or WhatsApp calls, but back on those old, old phones. Um, and that's what really launched my career and our journey in technology because it was pretty new and cutting edge at the time. There was, you know, two other companies in the world that were also doing that in the UK and in Israel. Um, and we essentially launched Jaeger.com as a similar thing to Skype.com where you could do free internet calls and buy credit to do Yego out calls, you know, like Skype out calls. And we also had tons of messaging. So if you remember back then, we had Google Chat or Gchat as such. There was Yahoo Chat. Um, there was still gosh, MSN maybe. Yes. There were all of So we had this whole integrated chat thing in there too, which actually was far more used than the VoIP, but we were just tunnel visioned on the VoIP at the time, which uh, was a big learning that maybe we should have actually focused on the chat. It was it was a more mature product back then. Um, and yeah, built an incredibly innovative and product and platform at that point in time and realized soon enough, though, that it was incredibly hard to monetize. This was before, you know, your app store. So you didn't have, a, people didn't put credit cards on their phones mm -hmm. to buy stuff mm -hmm. on their phones per se. So it was very hard to collect money from mm -hmm. customers. And yeah, all the concerns about credit card online payments were 10, 20 times worse, you yeah. know, back then. So we realized we needed to shift to a different market. And it seemed at the time the business or small and medium and large businesses was where we would better be able to collect cash and monetize. Tell me about the team that's building Yego yeah. and the personalities that have to come together to create this solution. What I absolutely love about the stories of tech founders is uh, the personalities that often you don't um, expect to be, to be behind some of these businesses and how they, they, they just get become obsessive about creating the solution once uh, they, they see that there's a problem. I'm, I'm curious to know what kind of personalities are behind <laughs> this business and building this product? I think my co-founders had a bit of rebellious streak in them for sure. I mean, I know one of the one colleague, he actually did go for um, interviews, you know, with Microsoft or something in South Africa, what have you, and incredibly talented developer, incredibly talented business person. But, you know, he came out saying, but I'm never going to meet Bill Gates working <laughs> in this branch. So I don't understand why I'd want to go there. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> the motivation is intense. <laughs> so, you know, we didn't see ourselves as small or in, inadequate 
or were less deserving of a career in technology because we, you know, were in the bottom of Africa and were not in Silicon Valley per se. And I think having a strong education gave us a lot of that confidence Mm -hmm. that, you know what, these other things that are being built out there aren't beyond our reach or capabilities. Um, We just need to put our heads down and, and make this work. And yeah, I'm really grateful for my co-founders because I don't think I would have had the confidence to do it myself back yeah. then. Um, they came with much stronger technology or software development experience and I focused in on running the actual business. So for a long time, I did everything else but the coding. And uh, it worked for a good long time. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> How was uh, the experience of um, selling the the, the business? Um a lot of people get extremely attached. And I imagine at this time, you don't even know that you're a serial entrepreneur. You're kind of just like, oh, there's a problem. Oh, we can fix it. Oh, okay, we've fixed this. Okay, what are we doing now? When are we making money? How are we making money? What are we actually doing? And you eventually get to this part where the business is sold. And uh, then who is Rapelang at this point when you've obsessively worked on on this product with this team and now that's gone? Was there a moment when there was nothing happening or did did the bug catch you already at this time? And whilst you were in this business, you were already thinking about the next one. Sure. For me, it happened quite slowly. The realization that, oh my God, this thing is no longer ours. Yeah. I think I can we, imagine. We, we understand mathematically, you yes. know, the majority of the business has been sold, but... Somewhere at the soul level, it hadn't registered at all. And it still felt like it's our baby. And as you go and navigate through the bigger decisions, when you're no longer able to decide we're going to go down the strategic path or we're going to target this potential acquirer, when you're no longer able to lead the conversation because it's not your business, then it starts to, oh my God, what are we doing anymore? And um. That, that initial loss of agency was a shock to the system. I can imagine. A real, real shock to the system. And now, you know, how this baby grows is somebody else's choice. And suddenly your baby starts to look ugly, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and... Because yeah. you're not buying her the clothes anymore. It's not the your 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 favorite yeah. fashion brand that is dressing her anymore. It doesn't you, look like they have you a new, had imagined. They have a new parent, and maybe the new parent is frugal. Yeah, and they're not dressing the baby in a fancy yeah, way. Exactly. The baby the baby starts to not make you that happy. And I think, you know, we came from a pure software product background and we wanted to do nice software applications. We're sitting in voice of IP actually pulled us more to the telecoms industry, which has its own quirks and, and funny things. And it's it just wasn't a place I thought we wanted to spend more time in per se. Um, so, yeah, seven years in, it was, I think I've hit my limit with this baby and it's time for me to, yeah, Take a break. I can't say that I was thinking about the next business. Yes, there were things I always wanted to do, but I had no assurance at that point that I would start another business per se. At that point, I just wanted to sleep. That that was the real, real goal at that point. So I think, you know, I, I took a good year and a half, two years out. I tried to actually go to MBA school business school. That's what I tried to do. Um, and I applied to all the top ones in the US, etc. Didn't get in. And then I was like, well, that's a sign. Let's just get back on the horse <laughs> and uh, see what's next. And because learning 
and and using technology to improve, you know, how we build skills and improve learning outcomes was something that I'd been thinking about, but we just never had time in Diego to address. I was like, you know what? I've learned a couple of things from this first entrepreneurial experience. And the big thing I learned was that you've got to do stuff that, you know, is deeply resonates with what you what you care about, what you value, what you think is worth your time. And even though Yego, you know, solved a problem that we all personally had at the time, it wasn't it wasn't sort of a deep soul connection. Like there's something where I feel like I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing because I think it's a problem worth solving for this century. Yeah. You speak a lot about time. It mm. comes up a lot when you express um, a lot of the motivation and intrinsic motivation around how you make decisions and how you do things. What is it about time that um, is is at the forefront of uh, how you interface with the world? Sure. Where did I start to get all funny about time? <laughs> I Maybe I just learned to appreciate really early that everything in this earth is transient. Um, and and I also learned in the first entrepreneurial business that whether you think you're going to be a success or not at the end, failure or not, you know, whatever you're doing, you can get hit by a bus tomorrow and the quality and success of your life has been determined by how you lived those moments yeah. just before. So if the journey or if the destination isn't an outright determinant of whether you've succeeded or not, the journey is actually the life. So, and I realized, I guess maybe in the team that I had in Yego too, that, oh my God, if nothing ever came of this, I spent days and years working with the most amazing people. And I think that that's an incredible quality of life. Um, and I guess... Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's part of where the time piece comes from. I suspect it also came from sort of my my childhood too, because I remember I remember quite often, you know, when I think about how my parents, you know, professional journeys came about. You know, they started poor, they built up a life. Um, initially, you know, when we're living in Botswana, um, they fell on the wrong side of favor, you know, with political powers that be at the time, and they lost everything. And, you know, we started to navigate a new world in, in South Africa and they, you know, built themselves from, from nothing again to create a new life for ourselves here. And I guess that sense of transience, that sense of everything can be gone tomorrow. Yeah. I, I stems also from that childhood sort of trauma in a way where I just appreciated that there's just no guarantees mm. next year or next decade or whatever else is. Um, and it's the much bigger risk in life to postpone the things you really want to do to the future that doesn't exist. Yeah. And I just, yeah, it has to, this, this is the only life, this moment. This is all you have. This is all you have. Do you think um, it's a privilege to have that mindset about time? And I'll tell you uh, why I, I asked that question. I think a lot of people, particularly even people who exist in other people's tunnels, favorite, <laughs> favorite analogy of my life at this point, people who exist in other people's tunnels, whether that is corporate, whether that is a tunnel that you created for yourself because you now have children, a tunnel that you created for yourself because you assume that this is the expectation of, for how you should live your life. 
often look at people who have decided that they will make specific sacrifices in order to live in a particular way and therefore own their time and only see that posture in terms of how you choose to live as a privilege because maybe for, from where they stand, where do they get this time? How do, you, how do you think people in that position can reframe their relationship with time and move away from the idea of time being a privilege? Mm. Is it even a uh, conversation that we could potentially have a solve for Or is it just the way that things are sometimes when you find yourself in particular places (laughs) in life? Here, girl, very tough questions, very deep questions here. I, I think that when you have made choices around what is important to you, then having a sense of how you influence your time is more doable. When you, whereas instead, if you've lived in autopilot and life has happened to you, then time feels like something you don't own. And by that, I mean, for example, that, you know, we were able to go on this entrepreneurship journey at the beginning. And it meant that we didn't, you know, incur huge debts. We didn't buy credit or buy home loans or whatever else's, which would dictate how we had to spend our time later on. We we made we maintained um, that sort of independence to other commitments that would then have to determine how we spent our time, and and it starts with those little things. Yes. Whereas I feel like maybe some of my other peers went through the motions yes. of let's get a job, you know, get all these mortgages and and whatever cars and all of these other things, without realizing that it determines yeah how you then must spend your time yeah. thereafter. And it's not just a thing that you have. They're, they're, yeah, those are those are the ways we lose power over time. Yeah, without realizing that we do. Yeah, and I think, I think, yeah, having having been conscious of those choices can then give me the independence to say that I actually only need to earn this. I can survive, you know, another two or three years. Um, with a minimal income to make this thing work. Yeah, because I. I had made the intentional choices. So I think time, yeah, time is a output of choice. Um, never heard a story of a serial entrepreneur that didn't have devastating failure and loss in it. I would love to hear in uh, this uh, journey of uh, building businesses selling some, keeping some, <laughs> building others to support other businesses. What has been the toughest challenge that you needed to navigate that you feel like actually changed you? Mm. I think it was definitely in, in the first business at Diego where we were, when we realized that we can't monetize the consumer market and we needed to do this pivot and we were running out of money and funding, you know, from the first round we had raised to try and make this pivot. And you know, while you're running out of money, you're still trying to raise raise funding. And there came a month where we were not going to make payroll. But I had so much shame around not having the money to pay salaries that we just said nothing, which was, you know, a million times worse, you know, to the team, to the team at the time. And, you know, we were just so young and 
there was, we didn't know how to deal with the shame of not having the money to pay a salary right then and actually deal with the situation head on. So that changed me. That, 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 that experience changed me when you, when you mess around with people's income and livelihood and, and family, et cetera. So, you know, and that, that was a real, you know, work to, to get past there because, you know, now I've got no problem saying there is no money for this or that yeah. because it, it, it affected me so deeply. Um, at that point. And, you know, following that same time period and, you know, we're really getting to a crunch where there will be literally nothing left if we don't conclude sort of another funding deal at the time. And I remember, you know, that month when the salary, we didn't pay salaries and other creditors, et cetera, couldn't be paid. And you're not really sure what's going to happen every day you wake up or whatever's. And the anxiety. Yeah, the anxiety, all of all of those hugely, hugely stressful moments. And I remember one of our mentors within the business network that we were um, part of at the time, it was Greg Durst at Endeavor. And he said to us that, you know, I, I know it feels like you're out of time because come month end, you know, you can't pay salaries or whatever else's, but you have time. A business doesn't shut down in a day. You still have another two or three months. You can close this, keep pushing. You still have time. And in that, that was a really, 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 really big lesson then because, yeah, in, in, when you're in that in disillusionment about what's happening, how are you going to make it forward for, for him to just keep reminding us you have time, you know, was the life-saving advice mm-hmm. in the end. Uh, and then I would also say that it's it's also about having a network, um, a fallback network of people that you also trust and walk this journey with you, other entrepreneurs. So, you know, my father's an entrepreneur. I've got another business partner um, who's also an entrepreneur. And it was interesting over the last, you know, five, six years, one of us was somehow ended up in dire straits and needed cash and having the ability to get have this network of soft loan entrepreneurs who will save each other. I love that. And I think it's so true. It's crucial Mm. because you sincerely don't know when you're, you can prepare all you want. Yeah. (laughs) But having, having fallback options for those most dire times is so crucial. How crucial are entrepreneurial networks outside of the ones that are in our intimate spaces, like you say, your father and some people around you, what has been the impact, if any, of being part of entrepreneurial networks? I guess I've been part of entrepreneurial networks for, for a while now. Right from the first business, you know, I've done Enablers and Endeavor, I think. Um, those were the two big ones earlier on, you know, and, you know, part of the maybe not entrepreneurship focus, but global shapers, young global leaders. And I would say that in the early days, we had, you know, these peer groups that sort of met either once a month or so and intimately got into each other's lives and businesses. And uh, that was a really, really important sharing space for me because I think it taught me just how regular these things that we think are life shattering are. Mm. Mm. And it just it really, really hammered in the point that no matter what you're thinking or going through as an entrepreneur that you think is, oh my God, nobody will understand. Oh my God, it's so bad. There's a few hundred thousand, if not millions of people that have been there before you. And when you can overcome your shame to actually speak to people or someone, you can get guidance and input. And um, yeah, it's, it's actually, you're not that special. Yeah. 
when it comes to money, which mm. is, I think, a very touchy subject for a lot of people yeah. that is really marred with shame, what have been the key learnings for you that allow you to interface with money conversations mm. much easily now than you did at the time? <laughs> I think the learnings that I got from it was that you know, how much money I have at any point in time has never been a true determinant of my my worth as an individual. And when you are undertaking big tasks or big projects or ambitions, money is money is a resource you deploy in aid of that ambition. Um, and like any resource, it can be in excess or it can deplete. And being able to recognize it as something, it's separate from my self-worth. This is where it's at now. I'm going to need X to, to get to the next point. Just frees you from having to associate it with, Your am work. I still okay as a person, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's a tool, it's a resource that you deploy to apply to, you know, what you want. And your ability to separate yourself from it means that you can make decisions about it that are not tied to your ego. I, I, I think um, it, it's, it's, geez, it's a deep topic. And uh, I do hope at Rekindle Learning, mm -hmm. there is an mm -hmm. aspect of uh, <laughs> this learning mechanism, even for organizations, you know, uh, that, that digs into the relationship that we have with money. Because I think it sips through the other relationships that we have with people. For sure. When for you sure. think about the power of money, regardless of its association with our identity and self, how important do you think it is for women to be included financially. And I ask this because of how broad you are in your thinking and your dynamism in, in, in relation to you being a woman in the spaces that you, you interface with. What have you seen as the fundamental reason that we, we need more inclusion financially of women, particularly in a third world country? I believe that being able to manage money or finances as a resource is is part and parcel of being an adult. Yeah. And you can't truly step into your your strength as an individual if you can't use that tool for yourself. So it's it's absolutely crucial, you know, from from the lowest income levels to be able to access financial services um, in every shape and form. And even for working, you know, women professionals, you can't ever let go of that ability to to generate um, income for yourself. And yeah. it's, it's, I think it's an incredibly dangerous and slippery slope. Yes. Once you go down that path, because it's it's part and parcel of being a functional adult. Yeah. I love that you you contextualize it around being an adult <laughs> yeah. because I think a lot of times um, when 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 women are confronted with the the decisions that um, often are decisions that only women face at times, especially in in the ecosystems that we exist in, there is a lot of noise, yeah, uh, cultural noise, yeah. social noise, yes, around what uh, the trade off is, <laughs> um, around uh, what the meaning of taking one path over the other is. I really love the simplicity of flame framing it around just this is an adult decision yeah. that has a lot more to do with uh, adult responsibility than anything else. 
When you think about your own journey, um, when it comes to your relationship with money, do you have an end goal in mind? Um, is 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 there a place where you say, if I get here, it will mean this, or is it a consistent um, wave? You know uh, that is either fluctuating um, up and down based on what your priorities are, what your needs are, what your ambitions are, what your dreams are? Or is it something that is closely maybe even connected to your age? Because that's a, that's a big thing, right? Um, what we should be at what age and the discomfort that we feel sometimes when we are not that at that age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, the way I see you know, money, especially going forward, and maybe for a long time is how I've seen it, is that it should enable me to make more independent choices. So the extent to which I can make decisions about how I spend my time and attention that are not dependent on a money situation, I think the more the more free and successful I am is what I feel. So, and when I say free from financial strain or, but also from social, you know, norms or social expectations or cultural expectations and be able to make decisions that are just seem more authentic or in line with what I need to do at that point. And having financial independence contributes to that. Mm-hmm. You can't be able to make, have that agency without there being some kind of financial independence because you need to use that resource to live somehow or to maybe finance this decision that you want to take ultimately. Um, so I look at money and the more su- and the way I relate it to success is, does it give me more choice, free from the limitations of, I guess, not having money, free from the limitations of, you know, cultural um, requirements or social expectations? As a woman in, uh, in, in technology, um, and this might be a very practical and, and pragmatic question, but I'm curious. As a woman in technology, what do you think the impact of the fintech industry is going to be in allowing um, people from impoverished communities access to better financial solutions and therefore economic independence? We've seen incredibly innovative companies come up, um, especially, you know, I've been involved in Grindstone and Norskin Impact Accelerate and, you know, interviewing some of those entrepreneurs coming into the program. It's stunning what is happening. I think that fintech gives, is, is, is a different channel in, you know, outside of the different, outside of the traditional banks where we're able to create new products that leverage um, different unit costs and able to reach customers in different ways to what traditional banks did, whether it's WhatsApp or USSD or something, and specifically target an underserved market. And this really comes back to what Clayton Christensen talks about in his book, Prosperity Paradox, that you only create inclusive economic growth when you create products that serve underserved markets or reach underserved markets um, that develop new, you know, supply chains, um, new suppliers coming into the mix, new partners uh, coming into the mix, because then you're extending the the sort of circle of people that are involved in the digital economy, um, and it, it's it's only going to be good for women. Mm-hmm. From from what I well, good for good for everyone, but especially good for women. I love that. I love that. 
If you had a chance to go back to Rappeling 10 years ago and tell her what is possible, what is the one thing that you realize you know now around possibility that you might have not known then that has freed you immensely of some of the aches and pains that Rappeling 10 years <laughs> might have been experiencing? <laughs> Yeah, I think Rappelang 10 years ago would have definitely tried to control more things to try and create, you know, the outcome. But now, you know, I would tell her that, um, I would tell her that you don't wait for a certain point in time to suddenly be good enough to succeed at something or suddenly be enough to to get to the point where you want to be. You simply believe from now, today, that I deserve that success or I can achieve that thing. It's only a matter of time. Mm -hmm. And it's not on anybody else's clock. It's not anybody else's race. This is just my journey through life. And actually, it doesn't matter what, what other race or plan other people are doing. You are already connected to that success. It's already moving towards you. You need to stay focused, keep your head down and simply just get better at yeah. everything that you do. And it's coming for you. So it's possible to do everything that you're dreaming <laughs> of at that time. Yes, at different times. Um, but again, still choose, right? Yeah. Still, still choose what's the most important things for you. But yeah. I am certainly worthy of the outcome. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Rappelang, for, for sharing with me so openly. I think for me, um, one of the key outputs about your story is the possibilities, right? What is possible when we we are attentive enough to recognize who we are and therefore make the best decisions for this version of ourselves and not follow what is expected of uh, whether women, uh, whether it is young black people in this country, whether people that come from other countries or people with stories that don't seem like it should be possible for them to become who you've become today. So thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed myself. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Few, brought to you by Zappa Bank.